1: Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Ben Myers. Ben Myers is president of Bullpen Consulting, a boutique real estate advisory firm that works with landowners, developers, and lenders to better inform them of the current and future macroeconomic and site-specific housing market conditions that can impact their active or proposed development projects. With over 15 years of real estate research experience, Ben has established himself as an industry expert and a go-to source for the latest information and insight on the domestic residential housing market. Ben has appeared on BNN, CBC, CTV, TVO, Global, and CP24 discussing the housing market and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Globe and Mail, and The Financial Post. In my interview with Ben, we discuss what's driving the condo market in the GTA and other big cities in Canada, the important role that the housing market plays in our economy, and what can the government do to help keep housing more affordable for the Canadian middle class. Without further ado, here's my interview with Ben Myers. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. Wonderful to chat with you. Great. So let's... uh... Dive right in, Ben. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the new home market. What are some things to consider when buying a new home?
0: Well, I guess the first thing I always tell people is to is to do a lot of their own research to really understand, you know, what what type of product they're looking for you know how much they want to spend so 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 take some time going on you know a website like buzz buzz home talking to a, a realtor that does a lot of work in the uh, the new home business obviously talk to a mortgage broker uh, understand what you can afford and if you're buying you know a unit for an investment uh, understand um, you know where values are going to be in the future where you think rental rates are going to be and really understand your cost from you know condo fees to to, to taxes to you know Know, accounting for for vacancy, accounting for you know damage to the unit, and, and accounting for uh, your own time to uh, to manage that unit. So those are those are the I always tell people to do their own research, and there's there's a lot of great resources out there to do so.
1: Great, and those are so many fantastic points that you've raised. And just curious, in terms of the new home market, there's so many interesting data points out there, and you seem to be on top of all that stuff. Is there anything? Interesting going on right now that you'd like to share with the listeners. Sure,
0: sure. It's it, it's definitely a tale of two markets. You know, we have the the low rise or the ground oriented housing market, the single family housing market, whatever you want to call it, singles, semis, and row. Most of that is is being developed in uh, the suburban markets. It, it, the market's finally uh, starting to come back. We had a, you know, definitely some bubble-like conditions in 2017, where we're pricing in that low-rise market. In the GTA went up 45 percent in a single year, just unprecedented growth. We had the the fair housing plan come come in, and, and part of that was a uh, a foreign buyers tax, and that really got rid of the investors in the market. They hadn't typically been involved in the in the low-rise market for a long time, uh, just because. They just don't pencil. It's it's hard to buy a you know one point five or you know one point six million dollar single family home and expect to rent it out and be and be cash flow positive. But because pricing was going up so quickly, people got in and and started buying and sent prices even higher and a sent supply to less than one thousand unsold units in the marketplace. And and just for some perspective. In 2002, I think it was about 17,000 unsold units. So, uh, you know, huge, huge decline. So there hasn't been there hadn't been a lot of activity in 2018 as as developers were building those homes and they didn't want to release new product at lower pricing because that they thought it might impact their closing. So. Uh, a lender might see that the value of those homes were down two hundred thousand, and and not be willing to give a mortgage to some of their existing purchasers. So that was that was a, a big concern for them. So now, essentially, everything that was pre-sold in twenty seventeen in that market is now complete. So developers are now coming out with with product. The more new product that's launched, the more sales that happen, the better the market starts to look. So 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 it was a big change in the low rise market. On the high rise market, even though there was. You know, huge growth in 2017. We're talking 25, 30 percent price growth. They didn't experience the same uh, drop off in activity. In fact, in 2018, prices went up another 15 percent. We're seeing some cooling off of pricing in that marketplace, which is direly needed. And, and different factors in in that market because there was. 35,000 sales in 2017, you know, all of those projects went for construction financing in in 2018, and a lot of them got under construction in 2018, and there just wasn't enough construction companies to to manage all of these projects. So, you know, what they do, they they start raising their price. People are having to bid for their services, so that drove up construction costs, and what we we get what's called cost push inflation. So not only were construction costs going up, but what we call soft costs. So uh, uh, development charges, parkland dedication fees, building permit fees, they were all going up. So it was really forcing developers to, you know, to set their pricing a lot higher than they probably wanted to. You know, I'm a I work for developers, lenders, landowners and I help them, you know, kind of determine where the market value is for their project at this point in time and I'm, you know, I'm telling them this is what I think you should sell your product at and they say, "Ben, you know, I I can't sell it at that. I can't make any money." You know, because because what's happened to construction costs. So they've had to, you know, test the market at even higher prices. And so it's 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 been really different dynamic in, in the high-rise market, but you know in the long run, um you know I fundamentally believe in Toronto. I think values will continue to go up because there's just there's only so much land downtown. Uh, there's only so many construction companies. There's only so much construction finance dollars to get these projects going. So I think we're just going to be in a permanent situation of undersupply in, in the marketplace. And I think that's going to you know, continue to send, send prices up. I mean, there's, there's going to be volatility. There's going to be, be years where pricing goes down. But over the long run, which I think a lot of the investors in the market now are, are seeing or are looking at long term as opposed to you know flippers or, or looking to sell right at occupancy. So that's, that's kind of my, my take on, on both of the, the new home marks. I know it was a really long answer, but hopefully that helps out some of your podcast listeners.
1: Well, perfect. Thanks for benching so many interesting points there. It actually segues perfectly to my next question. So I remember reading an article a while back about how Toronto has more cranes than anywhere else in North America. What's driving the condo market in the GTA and other big cities in Canada? And do you see this pace continuing i mean i would think that the mortgage stress test has something to do with that but i'd be curious to hear your thoughts ben yeah
0: certainly certainly a lot of factors i mean just just going back 15 years they put in what's called the growth plan for the greater golden horseshoe and the the green belt came in which essentially took out a huge portion of land for the greenfield developments So that forced a lot of people to look at different areas. And so that um, caused a boom in in the condo market. And then then another big factor is just it's so difficult to get around the GTA, right? So even if you wanted to live in Bowmanville and, and work downtown, it's really just not an option right you just can't you you'd be in your car for you know two and a half hours every single day you know one way so it's just not an option so it's been driving you know growth in the downtown areas and and places that are that are that are close to jobs and that's essentially just fed off each other as these areas that were previously just factory lands uh, they became much more desirable places to go and again another there was a planning change essentially and i'm not sure quite when it was, which allowed more residential downtown. There were certain areas of downtown where only office was previously allowed and then when they allowed developers to do residential then you know they started to do residential and so it's it's really fed off itself but you know more recently we continue to have the population growth I mean we uh, you, you'll see any developer that's that's that talks about this stuff um, you know on the radio or on television will we'll quote the number 100,000 new residents into the greater Toronto area or population growth not necessarily new residents but population growth every single year last year was 125,000 which was the largest it's been in, in several years. You know, people want to be downtown. They want to be where the action is. They want to be where the jobs are. They want to be where the, the single people are. They want to be where the amenities are and transit. They, they want to get rid of their car. And so just downtown has been a very desirable place to be. And now, you know, investors have seen after, you know, essentially since 1995. So, you know, we're, we've got this huge 15, 20 year track record of, of price growth and rent growth in the marketplace. And they, and and they just continue to buy. Uh, They believe in Toronto, they believe in, in real estate values continuing to go up and they don't see, they don't see any change that's going to really drive down values in the marketplace. So, you know, those are, those are a lot of factors. Obviously, you know, recently the stress test is, is, it, it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword. A lot of these investors do want to eventually sell their units to end users, but now because the stress test makes it more difficult for a lot of buyers to qualify for a mortgage and buy a, a home, well, there it just causes a bottleneck in the rental market, which is you know driven rents up by double digits in in 2018, and they're probably up you know seven eight percent in 2019. So it's it's making their you know, cash flow on some of these rental units that they've purchased look a lot better. And maybe they're going to hold on to the units for longer than they would have previously.
1: Yes, definitely a lot of perhaps unintended consequences from all these policy changes out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's always things that, that come up. A perfect example is rent control. I mean, people want it, they don't want to pay, they don't want to, see their rents go up 7 8% a year. And so they, they, they talk to the municipalities and they talk to their politicians and say, we want this. And it's great for the people who get it, but unfortunately, landlords can set any rent that they want on vacant units. So the people that have rent control stay in their unit because they're paying so much less than what the market value is. And then the rest of the people have to pay these even higher rents for um, the units that are available and you know and then when a, a developer who is looking at doing a rental and says huh, do i do you know is it going to be 1.5 percent increases in my in my rental rate is that all that's going to be allowed you know do i want to make that investment should i put my capital somewhere else we just recently running the numbers today for 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 a client and looking at the increase in in rental units under construction in 2017 it was four percent that that was it, and and that was the year that they put in rent control. This year, it's up 18%. The two years that it was before uh, rent control, it was up 20% in each of those two years. So it makes a difference. It's unfortunate that the market is so out of control. I, I mean, I feel sorry for for people who can't get into the market. I mean, you know, I know how tough it was when I was looking for my my first rental 15, 20 years ago, and and I was you know it's like oh my god, I can't believe I have to pay 800 a month for a studio. Studio suite like this is crazy, and now you know one bedroom is twenty three hundred dollars on average, right? It's it's just huge growth of the last uh, fifteen years, but unfortunately, the the market can be uh, can be difficult, and hopefully, you know there'll be additional policy changes that can uh, you know open up additional avenues for for more rental construction.
1: Now we often hear experts weigh in on the housing market. Some are optimistic, while others are less optimistic, dare I say pessimistic. If you're a home buyer in the market right now, how much weight should the opinions of expert carry in your mind? And should you perhaps take it with a pinch of salt?
0: For sure. I mean, we we saw what happened in 2017. I mean, prices went up in the resale market, 35, 36% year over year. And so it's just Unsustainable growth. We didn't know how long that was going to last, but we, we we had a pretty good idea that it was going to result in prices coming back down. You know, it went from I think it was seven hundred and sixty thousand was the average price in the GTA in December of twenty sixteen, and that went up to nine hundred and twenty thousand by the end of April. So it was, it was craziness. And yes, if you, if you look to some analysts and some realtors, they were still bullish. They're like, Hey, yeah, come on, keep buying, right? The prices are going up like crazy. And then other people were saying, well, this is a bubble prices are going to come back down. So you do have to be careful. You have to look at someone's track record, right? And that's, that's the point I will, I will always make if they're just every single report they've ever written as saying the market's going to crash, well, I mean, you, you just can't take that person seriously. People have to take the the latest data and information and come back with a with a with a, a new thesis. You have to be. Constantly reworking your mental model of of how the market works, right? I, I mean, my advice to to anyone is it's not not to try to time the market. It's just it's just so difficult to do, right? Maybe when prices are up thirty five percent year over year, maybe be be pretty cautious about buying at that point in time. But it's just so difficult to to time the market, and and I think you shouldn't be buying unless you see yourself. Living in that unit for five years or longer, and then the transaction costs just don't just don't make sense. So that's you know that's my advice because it's just impossible to forecast the market. There'll be people out there that say, "Oh, I know, I knew exactly that that was going to happen." Oh, I knew exactly, but they didn't. You know, they didn't. So always always take a look at both sides. Sorry, I mean I I tend to be be bullish, and you know maybe I'm too bullish. You know, maybe I'm too enthusiastic about the market. So there's always going to be the journalists that are looking for, for both sides of the story. So I don't think you'll have that much difficulty, uh, you know, finding someone with a, you know, with a a different opinion.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, my personal view is if you're planning to invest in the real estate market long term, and this is your principal residence, then in terms of whether prices are higher now or in two, three months, I think that's really irrelevant. If you're planning to stay in the property long-term, then besides the time where home prices are going up 35%, I, I don't think that should be overly big concern. I mean, I think your big concern should be, can I afford the carrying costs of the property? Because at the end of the day, when you sell the property eventually, if you move on to another property, it's going to be a bit of a wash because you're buying and selling in the same markets i would just say you know your main concern should be can you afford the carrying costs of the property Uh, am i not going to find myself house rich cash poor rather than timing the market because i mean unless you're like a flipper then i don't really think it makes sense to time the market in my opinion
0: yeah that's correct i mean other than you know the 1989 to 1994 period i mean if you go back you know 30 50 years any any five-year period Prices have been higher after five years, right? So, just you always have to make sure you're buying with that longer time frame in uh, in mind. So, I mean, that's always gonna always gonna be my advice.
1: Now, it's been said many times that real estate is a driver of the Canadian economy. Can you talk about the important role that the housing market plays in our economy?
0: Sure. I mean, I think. People have a lot of pride in home ownership when they go out and, and buy a home it's it, it's a it 's a sign that the market is doing well right that they're they're have a steady employment they feel confident in that employment moving forward and then typically when they move in you know they're 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 paying for a moving company they're they're going and they'll they 'll slap some paint on the wall they 'll buy some new furniture they 'll pay the moving company they 'll They'll pay a commission to a to a, a broker or to a, a real estate agent or to a to a lender they 'll go out and buy some new appliances and some and some <laughs> kitchenware and and all those things that 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 come with uh, the spin offs that come with you know with purchasing a home when you when you rent yeah you might you might not go out and paint the walls in your rental unit you might not even be allowed to paint the walls in your in your rental unit right there There might not be the same level of commissions getting paid for you uh, transacting uh, on those units. So I think the you know the, the home ownership market and the in the transaction market really drives um, you know a lot of dollars in the marketplace. And then obviously the the new home market we you know we want to continue to be building a lot of a lot of homes. I mean if we're going to have 125,000 people coming into the marketplace every single year, we're going to have to you know deliver 40 or 50 or even 55,000 new units on an annual basis to accommodate that growth. I mean, we've, we, you know, people were always talking about, well, we only need 35 to 40,000 units, but uh, the size of the units have changed. The number of bedrooms in the average unit has changed. So you have to adjust that um, expectation up. So it's probably closer to 50 to 55,000 units. And, uh, and, you know, when, when, when you're building that amount of units, you're creating, you know planning jobs and you're creating jobs for you know for construction workers and you're creating jobs for architects and you're creating jobs um, you know for lenders and, and, and planners and and you know suppliers and and um, you know designers and and just so much spin off uh, benefit from uh, you know creating new housing right so and yes, there are some negative externalities when your someone 's favorite restaurant gets torn down or that parking lot that you used to park at is 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 too busy or you know, the, the subway is, is busier than I want it to be, or maybe there's a, a slight shadow on a park somewhere. But, you know, the, the net benefit, I think, is is hugely positive, you know, for the marketplace. And in the more supply that we uh, create, the less pricing goes up crazy. I mean, I, I always prefer, a, you know, a stable marketplace, you know, kind of Two, three, four percent growth is every single year is, is kind of a benefit for everyone. As prices prices continue to go up, developers will be interested in in building. Lenders will feel confident in lending, and people will feel confident in in buying. Um, if it's going up too high, then people get nervous. If it's going, if if prices are uh, decreasing, then people get nervous as well. right? so it's a uh, Kind of a sweet spot in the marketplace that uh that keeps everything going i mean we've been been a good market essentially since the since the mid 1990s so it's it's been a really unprecedented new home market uh, obviously, there's been some a few more blips in the resale market than there have the the new home market, but uh, otherwise it's been it's been fairly solid and you know, and really, obviously, it's the business that I'm in. I, I hope it continues to to go strongly, but I want it to be a stable market. I don't want it to be a, a crazy crazy market that that gets gets out of control, hurts affordability for everyone, right?
1: No, I agree completely. I mean, being a homeowner and seeing 35% price appreciation is nice, but I know that's not a healthy market, so certainly, you know, I wouldn't want to see that for the long term, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: and there's a lot of people, you know, I I uh, my first home was a I bought, that I bought was a condominium and then we said, you know, what we we want to start a family, so we're going to uh you know, try to buy something something bigger and we bought a bought a town home and and I think my wife was always Dead set on wanting a a single detached home, right? And even though the value of our home has doubled, well, guess what? A single family home has gone up way more than that. <laughs> you know, so so we're kind of you know I don't want to say trapped, but you know because we we don't want to go crazy. We don't want to take on a huge mortgage. I don't want to be paying off a mortgage till I'm 75, 80 years old. I mean, obviously uh, you're an extreme example of paying off your mortgage quickly, but um, you know, we're, we're on the, we're on the 25 year plan and, and it's, it's just unfortunate, right? It's, it's better to have some, some steady growth and consistent growth. So, so people can move up and, and new people can cycle into the marketplace, right? I mean, that's that I think is, 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 is the way that we have to, to do it. And, and, and yes, there's always going to be people who say, well, you know, why are we building new housing? Cause new housing is expensive, but you know, it's, it's the way it is. Materials are expensive. Labor is expensive. Uh, land is expensive. Um, and and yes, we probably should be building some, some social housing. Cause we just need to get more rungs on that ladder. We need, we need to put all as many rungs as possible on that ladder to, uh, to accommodate as many people as, as we can in,
1: it's no secret that home prices are a lot higher in major cities than they were just a decade ago. We've touched on some of the reasons why, but in your opinion, Ben, what can the different levels of government do to help keep housing more affordable for the Canadian middle class?
0: One of the things that people really ignore when they're looking at housing markets is that house prices are comprised of two things. The Cost that it uh, that it, to, to build the physical structure and the land price, right? So when markets start to get built out, when they start to be huge markets like Toronto and Vancouver, the price of the land actually becomes higher than the price of the physical structure, and that's that's a hard thing for someone to to understand. And land is just not competing with you know it's just not a residential thing, you know there's 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 people who want to build hotels and there's people who want to build you know commercial buildings and industrial buildings and they want to put in parks and they want to put in roads, and they'll put in uh, baseball fields and recreation and, and keep green space so there's a lot of competition for that that land market so so it's not going to go up at the same pace as as incomes right there's just there's there's very limited land so that the 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 best thing that a municipality can do is to ensure that you're fitting as many units on the limited land that you have. Right? Uh, In the city of Toronto, we have an area that uh, that that's been described by a planner, I think his name is Gil Meslin, as as the yellow belt. So essentially, only single family homes can go there, or in some instances, you only you know semis and and towns can go on these lands. I'm not a I'm not an expert on it, but essentially, you can't build any high rise it prevents you know developers from going in there and assembling a bunch of lots and turning you know 3 to 5 single detached homes into 25 30 50 100 apartment units that are that are significantly more affordable than those single family homes so that's that's the biggest thing is to allow the the free market uh, to 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 operate for um, you know a developer to add additional units into the marketplace and take out some of the more expensive units in the marketplace. I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. They've done some, some fantastic measures in allowing these ADUs or accessory uh, dwelling units, laneway suites, you know, allowing for, uh, you know, basement units. Those are the, those are essentially the cheapest ways that we can, we can add supply. Wood frame, no additional uh, infrastructure uh, required um, and just, you know, pop those additional units in and they're, you know, great rental units. But you know as we've moved away from um, that greenfield or low uh, low rise development in the suburbs that everyone's kind of used to the you know the subdivisions where you know land was cheaper the farther you went out from the city of Toronto land got cheaper you could you could throw on a wood frame uh house and 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 the and the costs to build that house were were minimal not minimal but not as high as it takes to build a Fifty-story tower made out of concrete and glass, where you're going down five stories, and it takes five to seven years from when you buy that land to uh, deliver the the final product. It's requires more upfront sales, uh, which essentially is more risk. Meaning developers need more return, lenders want more return uh, because of the additional risk, and that all just drives up the price. All right, so the price per square foot to to deliver a uh, a condominium apartment versus suburban low rise home is significantly different as well right so so that is a huge factor that that's taken taken to our our market and and driven our market to kind of these obscene levels i mean and not not even you know, getting started on the uh, on the low interest rates and how that has kind of you know added fuel to the fire of 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 where where pricing has has gone in this marketplace. So I think, you know, allowing more supply in several markets, kind of reducing what we call the nimby's in the marketplace—the people that are fighting against new development—we really have to uh, you know reduce that. We need to reduce some of the fees on on new housing because you know, they always talk about growth, paying for growth. So these new housing have to, you know, help pay for subways and schools and stuff. But a lot of this stuff is going to be used by existing residents too. So what we should do in the city of Toronto is, and I know some people don't like to hear it, but it, we need to have higher property taxes to pay for additional, uh, you know, subways, additional transit routes to, to move people to to markets that have, that have lower values and to improve. And more importantly, even is to improve, the economics of development in those areas. So you can, you, I mean, you can drive through Scarborough's, you know, massively huge, you know, former municipality, and there's hardly any development going on there. And it's really because um, developers can't charge high enough for for, for the properties in, in those areas. So we need to improve the transit to those, to those areas so you can quickly move to where the jobs are and you'll see more development. So, I mean, those are kind of a couple of my, Big things that I always talk about, you know, more transit needs to get built, that'll, that'll jolt new development. And then we have to allow development everywhere in this city instead of protecting the, the low-rise neighborhoods and protecting, you know, affluent home values, which has, um, you know, created the, the type of inequality that we have in the market right now.
1: A while ago, you wrote an interesting piece about how developers aren't offering three-bedroom condos. Are we seeing more family-sized condos these days?
0: Well, we are seeing more family-sized condos, but I don't think we're seeing many more family-sized buyers. <laughs> unfortunately, and some of those units are going to you know more affluent trade-down buyers in the marketplace. they're they're they're, they're cashing out of their. Their their Forest Hill or their Leeside homes or the NX homes and uh, you know trading down their two to two point five million dollar home and buying a one point five million dollar you know condominium apartment with you know some water views or 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 on upper floors or some some boutique building. I mean fundamentally the, there's there's a couple problems with with the three bedroom units. One you know once you start to get to you know, a thousand square feet, which is, I think, generally what a family wants to get. They want to get at least a thousand square feet if they've got um, a couple kids, you know, the amount of storage that you have to have. So now that you look at pricing in downtown, you're talking, you know, 900 to 1200 bucks a foot. And sometimes, you know, even as high as $1,700 a foot. So just even at a, a, you know, a thousand dollars per square foot, it's a million dollars. Right. And then you, you look uh, other places in the in in even in the city of Toronto, within walking distance of transit, you can get a townhome, uh, a small townhome, and it's probably twelve hundred to to sixteen hundred square feet for a million dollars, right? So it just makes more sense for them to, you know, move out uh, a little bit farther from the downtown core, maybe you know a, a twenty minute subway ride or twenty five minute subway ride, and buy that million dollar place as opposed to a smaller. Downtown condominium where they may only have one parking space. They've got the condo fee. They've got to, you know, bring the kids up and down the elevator. They got to park in the underground and and take up their groceries up the elevator as well. And then downtown, the cost of daycares is a lot higher in in these downtown spaces because it costs more to to lease the space. Uh, So the the daycare providers have to charge more. And then, you know, how does does your child get to school? Are you comfortable putting them on transit or are you, you know, fighting the downtown traffic to get them to school or their soccer practice? or to their baseball practice or or hockey or, or what have you right so it's 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 the infrastructure is not quite there yet and the the value proposition is not quite there yet there needs to be the point where that town home costs two million dollars right? so some will say oh yeah absolutely I'm gonna buy that townhome for for a million because it costs two million for a townhome even within half an hour of downtown core right so we're going, we're slowly going to see it i think more people are going to get used to living downtown and and what that's all about and we'll start to get more daycares and we'll we're, we'll we'll start to get more you know, of the the family services, you're starting to see them in some of the condo buildings. They're putting in playrooms and and, and kid friendly amenities, and they're doing kid friendly and family friendly programming in the buildings to to make it feel a little bit more like a a community. So I think we're slowly going to see it, but I still think it's a very long way off before we start to see a lot of developers do large scale units. And as long as I've been been tracking the market. Um, there 's been a few success stories but for the, for the most part, anytime a developer does three bedroom units, they either sell to affluent buyers on upper floors they might sell to an investor looking to rent by the room, but they almost never sell to families because you know they require twenty percent down payment, and the building is is not going to be done for you know three, four, even five years down the road so it's, it's, and the pricing is like I, I talked about is so high so there's just a million factors that have that have kept it from uh, taking off, and I, I think it's still still a long way off before being something that you regularly see.
1: Well, Ben, thanks so much for your insight today. It's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Sure. I mean, if anyone is interested in checking out my website, it's uh, www.bullpenconsulting.ca. I do uh, analysis with a company called rentals.ca. So I look at the, the rental market across Canada and, and specifically in the, uh, the greater Toronto area in terms of what's happening in rental rates and trends. And uh, so I encourage any of the, the landlords that are listening here to, to, to put their listings on, on rentals.ca. It, it helps just increase my sample size to, to do analysis on. So I'd appreciate if anyone does that. They can find me at, uh, at benmyers 29 on Twitter. I'm always talking about the latest numbers and what's happening in the market, and maybe a little bit Toronto Blue Jays as well. So that's where you can find me.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you, or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca, or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave
0: a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.